The following program is a recording of a live broadcast transmitted 7 a.m. Beijing time. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you by China Radio International. Paul James with you on this Friday, June twenty eighth, two thousand nineteen. Welcome to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. Coming up on our program this morning, our news focus: Chinese President Xi Jinping meeting with Japan's Prime Minister ahead of the start of the G twenty summit in Osaka today. Other news: Chinese officials reviewing criteria for the new unreliable entities list. First ever China Africa Economic and Trade Expo opening in Changsha. Business: Hot IPO investor interest hitting the new SciTech board in Shanghai. Sports: England through to the semifinals at the Women's World Cup in France. And in entertainment, Spider-Man's director promoting his new film in Beijing, which opens today across China. First, your headline news: Chinese Premier Li Keqiang sitting down for talks with visiting Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte. As part of the sit-down, Li Keqiang says both sides need to promote two-way opening and create an open business environment for each other's companies. It's also calling for increased trade, innovation, clean energy, and working working together with the Dutch in third-party markets. For his part, Mark Rutte says the Netherlands will uphold multilateralism and safeguard international order. The two have also discussed ways to build up the relationship between China and the European Union. Thursday's meeting, part of Rutte's one-day working visit here to Beijing ahead of his trip to Osaka for the G20 summit. Forty-nine-year-old Erkam Imamoglu has been officially certified as the new mayor of Turkey's largest city, Istanbul. Imamoglu's swearing in comes on the heels of his decisive victory in the Sunday rerun of the municipal vote in the city. In taking over once again, Imamoglu promising to diversify and curtail municipal spending in Turkey's financial hub, saying the era of waste is over. Imamoglu's victory in Sunday's vote, a repeat of a previously nullified victory for him in March, puts an official end to over 25 years of control of Istanbul by President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's Justice and Development Party. Social stagnation and a sharp drop in the value of the Turkish lira over the past year, allowing the main opposition in Turkey to take control of many of Turkey's major cities, including Istanbul, Izmir, Anatolia, Adana, and the capital Ankara. The Kyrgyz Parliament voting in favor of stripping former President Almanbek Azimbayev's immunity. This follows the Kyrgyz Parliament created commission, which has since concluded that Azimbayev could be involved in six crimes during his presidency. Five out of the six allegations related to corruption. Azimbayev himself calling the accusations against him absurd, saying he's prepared to answer all of the accusations. Sixty-two-year-old serving as president of Kyrgyzstan from 2011 to 2017. Tunisian authorities denying reports of the death of President Beji Essebi, saying that the president's health remains stable. Tunisian Prime Minister Youssef Chahid issuing a statement saying the 92-year-old Tunisian president is receiving necessary medical care. An official statement saying that Essebi was taken to hospital in Tunis on Thursday following a serious health problem. Details connected to his health situation have not been revealed. However, it's the second time in the last few days that the elderly president of Tunisia has fallen ill. On Saturday, Essebi was admitted to hospital in Tunis for medical examinations, which officials at that time said were diagnosed as not dangerous. Essebi, a longtime politician, taking over the Tunisian presidency in 2014. News focus of the day. Leaders of China and Japan. Discussing both bilateral and global issues as part of a sit-down in Osaka ahead of the G20 summit. We get more from CRI's Xie Chang. This is Xi Jinping's first visit to Japan since he became Chinese president in 
Speaking highly of the development of China-Japan relations, Xi Jinping has suggested both sides are facing a new era. This year marks the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic, while Japan has entered a new era. Bilateral relations stand at a new starting point in history. I'm willing to work with the Prime Minister to enhance the strategic guidance in the building of a Sino-Japanese relationship that can meet the requirements of the new era. Xi Jinping has also used the meeting to call on both sides to adhere to the political documents that define their relations, build political consensus, and enhance mutual trust. He has also suggested more can be done to deepen cooperation in trade, innovation, third-party market cooperation, as well as the integration of the regional economy. He also says that China will continue to welcome Japan's participation in the Belt and Road Initiative, even though Tokyo has so far shied away from direct involvement in the BRI. Xi Jinping says he hopes the G20 summit will also press home the need for a more stable global trading environment. This year's G20 summit, taking place amid the rising complexity of the global economy, is of great importance and draws massive attention. It's expected to build consensus and give a clear signal for safeguarding multilateralism and free trade, injecting positive expectation and momentum into the economic growth of the world. Xi Jinping and Shinzo Abe have also discussed issues connected to the East China Sea and the Korean Peninsula. Abe has used the meeting to issue a formal invitation for Xi Jinping to pay a state visit to Japan next spring, which the Chinese leader says he will principally accept. Wu Jianhao with the Chinese Foreign Affairs Ministry's Asian Affairs Department says the meeting between Xi Jinping and Shinzo Abe represents a positive signal for closer ties in the future. The two leaders had a long meeting and reached important consensus. The Sino-Japanese relationship has a complicated side, and there are still divergences between the two countries. Both leaders agreed that China and Japan should focus on consensus while managing differences. For CRI, this is Xie Cheng. Now, as part of his time in Osaka so far, Xi Jinping also sitting down for talks with South Korean President Moon Jae-in. The two discussing ways to enhance cooperation within the Belt and Road Initiative while also agreeing to accelerate the negotiations on a bilateral free trade agreement. Xi Jinping also using the meeting to brief Moon Jae-in about his recent visit to North Korea, suggesting the general trend of peace and stability on the Korean Peninsula remains unchanged. The Chinese president also expressing support for a new leaders summit between Pyongyang and Washington. Reports this week have suggested U.S. and North Korean officials have begun discussing the possibility of a third meeting between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump. Trump due to visit South Korea this weekend ahead of his time, uh, following his time, I should say, at the G20 in Osaka, which, as mentioned, is getting underway uh, later on today. Now, as part of the two-day session, the Chinese president due to expound China's views on and stands on the world economy and global economic governance. On the sidelines, he's scheduled to attend a leaders' meeting of the Emerging Market Group of BRICS, which also includes Brazil, Russia, India, and South Africa. He'll also sit down for a three-way meeting with the leaders of Russia and India, as well as a group meeting with African leaders in addition to a series of bilateral talks with various other leaders and officials. For more on this, CRI Shaoyi speaking earlier with our reporter Tu Yun, who's covering events for us in Osaka. Tu Yun. The meeting comes only seven months after the G20 leaders met in Argentina. So, what's on the table for discussion this time? Well, Shaoyi, last night trade tensions was a major focal point, and since the situation has not been resolved and even worsened over the past seven months, 
this topic is expected to continue topping the agenda because it's closely related to global growth. And as we, we all know, both the IMF and the World Bank have lowered their forecasts for global growth this year and next year, citing trade tensions as a major reason. So it's widely expected that the leaders can find a solution to the problem at an early date. And other topics also include digital security, cryptocurrency legislation, climate change, marine plastic litter, the need to close tax loopholes for Internet giants, employment, women's empowerment and development, and challenges posed by aging and shrinking birth rates. So a variety of issues for discussion. And there will be a slew of bilateral and multilateral meetings between leaders of the G20 members. Shall we? Mm. Much of the world's attention will be focusing on the meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Donald Trump. Do you have any details on that? As we know, before the summit, President Trump once threatened he would slap tariffs on another $300 billion of Chinese goods if President Xi fails to meet him at the G20. But later, President Trump made an initiative to hold a phone conversation with President Xi to arrange a bilateral meeting on the sidelines of the summit. And according to the latest information from the White House, the two leaders will start their meeting at 11.30 local time in Osaka on Saturday morning before the U.S. president heads to his next activity at 5 past 1 p.m. CRI's Tu Yun from the G20 in Osaka, Japan, speaking with CRI, shall we? Chinese government says that it expects the G20 summit in Osaka to provide positive signals in connection with climate change. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Gong Chuang making the suggestion on the heels of media reports suggesting a draft communique for the summit does not include the implementation of the Paris Agreement. Tackling climate change has always been an important issue for G20. For a long time, G20, as a major forum for international economic cooperation, has played an important role in promoting international cooperation on tackling climate change. We hope that the Osaka summit could send a positive political signal of combating climate change. The Chinese foreign ministry noting the Chinese side hopes to remain one of the leading voices when it comes to tackling global climate change. Last year, during the G20 summit in Buenos Aires, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, French Foreign Minister Jean-Yves Le Drian, and UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres attended a three-party meeting and issued a press communique, which showed their common voice in support of multilateralism and cooperation in combating climate change. This has evoked strong worldwide response and led to the agreement on the implementation details of the Paris Agreement at the Katowice Conference. Chinese, French, and UN officials expected to meet again on the sidelines of this week's G20 in Osaka to further discuss ways of getting the Paris Accord implemented. The chair of the Asia House in London saying that China playing a constructive role in finding multilateral solutions to global issues. Stephen Gray says the international community is welcoming China's participation in addressing global challenges. We, we are all a global community with a shared future, with shared challenges, shared threats, shared um, opportunities as well. Uh, we all need to work together on, on what is perhaps the world's biggest challenge over the next 
several decades. This has to be a shared endeavor. So China's responsible and constructive engagement in those areas is strongly to be welcomed. Stephen Green also says that he hopes that trade discussions at the G20 in Osaka will be constructive and beneficial. Well, my major hope for this year's summit is that the trade discussions uh, will result in a relaxation of the tensions that will lead to an understanding in particular between China and America, but also between China and the EU, um, uh, that, that evolves the relationship in a way that is constructive and mutually beneficial. I think that's the most important thing for us all, frankly. Trade is expected to be one of the major talking points at the G20 sessions. Local authorities, meantime, hoping to capitalize on the publicity surrounding the G20 summit to help bolster the regional economy in Osaka. The Kansai region, which includes Osaka as well as Kyoto and Kobe, only accounting for less than 20% of Japan's overall GDP, while the Tokyo area generates around 40% of Japan's annual growth. Japanese economic analyst Toshihiro Nagahama saying that the imbalance creating a growing problem for the Kansai region. The polarization of Tokyo is a big problem. If the situation persists, human resources, other resources and funds will all be concentrated in Tokyo, and the economy in other districts will decline. In hosting this year's G20 summit, the Osaka region already reaping the benefits of increased tourism. Kashihirto Wakita, the director of the Osaka Prefectural Hotel Cooperative. Over the past two years, the amount of hotel rooms has increased by about 10,000 to accommodate foreign visitors to Osaka, including the G20. Osaka also preparing for another major event as the city is set to host the 2025 World Expo. Everything in focus, all in one place. China Plus focuses on the Middle Kingdom, bringing you breaking news and the stories that matter to you. Search for China Plus in the App Store or Google Play. 14 minutes past the hour. Chinese officials confirming that Chinese and U.S. economic and trade negotiation teams are now communicating with one another. Ministry of Commerce spokesperson Gao Feng says both teams have been in contact ahead of Xi Jinping's meeting with Donald Trump tomorrow in Osaka. While reports have suggested that a deal to end the long-running trade dispute could be inked as part of Saturday's meeting, the Chinese Commerce Ministry suggesting instead that negotiations are still ongoing. There is no winner in a trade war which will eventually hurt the interests of American companies and consumers. I hope the U.S. can listen more to the voices from the majority of its companies and consumers, abandon its wrong practices, and solve the current problems through dialogue and cooperation. It's in the interest of the people of the two countries and the whole world. Chinese Vice Premier Liu He, China's lead negotiator in the trade talks, began holding telephone conversations on Monday with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Leitziger and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. China's Ministry of Commerce, providing more details about China's new unreliable entities list, says a number of factors are being considered when deciding whether or not to add a company to that list. These include whether the company's blocked or discontinued supplying Chinese firms and whether this has caused any substantial damage to Chinese companies or industries. Gao Feng with the Chinese Commerce Ministry says the criteria now undergoing reviews. Establishing the system of the unreliable entities list is targeted at those behaviors of distorting the market for non-commercial purposes. Companies that obey Chinese laws and regulations, comply with market rules, and follow the spirit of contract should have no worry at all. 
The comments come in response to questions as to whether FedEx might be added to the unreliable entities list for its role in the mishandling of Huawei packages. Chinese military authorities suggesting their current ties with the U.S. military could be used as a stabilizer for the overall relationship between the two countries. National Defense Ministry spokesperson Ren Guoqiang making the suggestion amid changes at the top of the U.S. Department of Defense. We expect that during Acting Defense Secretary Mark Esper's term of office, the U.S. will make concerted efforts with China to earnestly realize key consensus reached by two heads of state, follow the non-conflict, non-confrontation, mutually respectful general direction with win-win cooperation, and keep enhancing strategic mutual trust, advance exchanges and cooperation in various fields, and strengthen crisis management and control in a bid to make the military relations to become a stabilizer of China-U.S. relations. Army Secretary Mark Esper taking over as Acting Defense Secretary on Monday. President Donald Trump will have to nominate Esper before July 30th, since a cabinet position can only have an acting official in charge for 210 days. Now, if he survives his Senate confirmation hearing, Esper will officially take over from James Mattis, who resigned in December. Chinese military officials suggesting the armed forces of China and North Korea, hoping to use Chinese President Xi Jinping's recent visit to Pyongyang as an opportunity to develop bilateral military connections. National Defense Ministry spokesperson Ren Guoqiang. The bilateral military relationship is an important part of China-North Korea relations, which has made positive contribution to the consolidation and development of bilateral relations. We are willing to take the 70th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic ties between the two countries as an opportunity to carry forward the friendship between China and North Korea, write a new chapter for the new era, resolutely implement the important consensus reached by the top leaders of the two parties and two nations, and carry out friendly exchanges between the two militaries to make positive contribution to the development of China-North Korea relations and the maintenance of regional peace and stability. President Xi Jinping making a state visit to North Korea last week, holding talks with top leader Kim Jong-un. This represents the first visit to North Korea by a Chinese head of state in 14 years. The Chinese government voicing its appreciation of Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison's China-related comments ahead of his attendance at the G20 summit. Morrison going on record saying China's economic growth is in his country's interests. The comments have been made as part of Morrison's first major foreign policy speech since taking office, where he's voiced a commitment to try to deepen Australian ties with China. He also says that Australia welcomes the contributions being made through the Belt and Road Initiative toward regional development and infrastructure investment. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Gong Shuang. China always holds that a healthy and stable Sino-Australian relation is in the fundamental interests of the two peoples and is convective to peace, stability and prosperity in this region. We hope the Australian side can work together with China to further promote healthy and steady development of bilateral ties on the basis of mutual trust and mutual benefit. Morrison's comments come nearly a year after Australia's parliament passed its foreign interference law, which has soured ties as the legislation is widely believed to have specifically targeted Chinese nationals studying and working in Australia. The sweeping legislation criminalizes any attempt by foreign nationals from attempting to sway political or domestic affairs in Australia. Senior officials and business leaders calling for closer economic and trade cooperation between China and Africa at the opening of the first China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo in Hunan's capital, Changsha. We get more from CRI's Goyan. 
China's President Xi Jinping sent a letter of congratulations to the expo, saying that China and Africa are good friends and partners. The president described the expo as a platform for deepening economic and trade cooperation. At the opening ceremony, Vice Commerce Minister Chiang Keming said he is confident of the future of the partnership between China and Africa, given the recent trade data. Bilateral trade value reached 66 billion U.S. dollars in the first four months of this year, up 4 percent year on year. While China's new direct investment in Africa reached 1.2 billion U.S. dollars, up 41 percent year on year. We are inspired by the achievements that have been made in economic and trade cooperation between China and Africa, and we have full confidence in the future prospects. The expo was announced at the China-Africa Cooperation Summit held in Beijing last September, which mapped out the priorities for the future of the partnership, including industrial promotion and trade facilitation. Uganda's President Yuvari Museveni said he hopes the expo will generate new business opportunities. This first China-Africa Trade Expo could not have been held at a better time than now. When we have a shared vision for the prosperity of our peoples, we all appreciate that industrial development and free trade among us ourselves will foster faster growth for our mutual benefit. Yuno Vega is the deputy director general of the World Trade Organization. He said Africa will enjoy more growth opportunities from enhanced cooperation with China, as it will foster infrastructure construction projects, cutting-edge technologies, and employment. I am confident that the China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo would further strengthen the strategic partnership between these two important constituencies, produce tangible results, and support the interaction. Between the private sector in both regions, the expo brings together Chinese and African representatives from government, think tanks, and companies to discuss trade promotion, agricultural technology, and investment. The three-day event has attracted over 10,000 guests and traders, including representatives from more than 50 African countries. For CRI, this is Guo Yan. Foreign officials attending a UN human rights session in Geneva have been expounding on their recent trip to Xinjiang to review the situation in the northwest Chinese region. Diplomats from 14 different countries spending four days in Xinjiang earlier this month. Nepalese official Tirthwaj Wagle among them. The infrastructure we saw、uh, in Xinjiang is、uh, very important and a very huge infrastructure,、uh, very modern infrastructure, and I think、uh, these are for the services of the people, for the public. On top of a broader tour of the region, the officials also taken through the vocational education centers in the cities of Kashgar and Hotan. Tajikistan's UN representative Jashmeed Kamidov saying the training centers are helpful in tamping down religious extremism. I think the establishing such kind of center is very necessary measures. It's a possibility for them to understand their place in the society and be part of the society, not against it. The delegates representing both the United Nations and the Organization of Islamic Cooperation touring Xinjiang from June 18th to the 21st. It's been, it's being said that more and more businesses now starting to use virtual reality as a way to train their workforce. 
Following recent innovations in headsets, virtual reality now increasingly being aimed at the industrial sector, allowing employees to train in simulated situations, which are often too difficult in the real world, such as oil spills. Our London correspondent, Holly Hudson, going in to find out how one company in the UK is using the technology to help firms transform traditional methods of training. So you just pop it on, really simple, and then you're immersed in a virtual world. So right now I'm on an oil rig. In the office of Immerse, a small startup in London, an employee demonstrates how the latest virtual reality technology is changing up training in the workplace. If I just click here, and now I'm in a hospital, uh, I can see a CT scanner there and I can interact with it. Using a new breed of VR headsets developed by Facebook-owned company Oculus that are completely untethered, Immerse trains workers in a range of businesses and across multiple locations around the world. There's all things going on. I've got a patient here. The patient's now going into the CT scanner. Employees can interact in different simulated environments as avatars that may stack boxes in a warehouse, perform a CT scan or even respond to an oil tanker spill. Chief Executive is Tom Simmons. These kind of environments where uh, there's a high degree of interactivity, where there's a level of dexterity required to be shown, that's where we found uh, VR to be very powerful. Because most people think about training in terms of a teacher or trainer in a classroom backed up by some online learning. And, and VR, really, with all its power of, of presence, um, allows you to completely rethink uh, the way that training is delivered. Around the world, VR training programs are being rolled out across all kinds of professions. NASA has used it to prepare astronauts for tasks in space, the NYPD to help police officers learn how to respond to active shooter emergencies, and one charity in the UK has even used it to show what life is like for a child of alcoholism. Tom thinks in less than a year, VR will be commonplace in all kinds of sectors. What you're starting to see is big companies realising actually this is a lot more than just an entertainment uh, medium. When we see 5G being rolled out more extensively, then it's not inconceivable that every employee, as in the same way that they would have, might have a, you know, a, a tablet or a laptop today, they're going to have some kind of device that they're going to put on over their eyes that is either going to create a virtual reality type experience where they're completely enclosed or some kind of mixed reality where they're going to be able to do both augmented and, and virtual. And it's not just in industry. From gaming to social experiences, experts believe that in 20 years, VR will be as much of a part of our daily lives as our mobile phones. But the rapid growth has led to concerns about its negative effects on users, in particular its addictive nature. So much so that MPs in the UK are now carrying out an inquiry into immersive technologies and their potential impact on society. Holly Hudson, CRI, London. Israeli officials saying at least 30 fires have been set in Israeli territory by incendiary balloons being launched from Gaza through Thursday. Of the over 30 fires started by the balloons, 17 of them said to be serious. Farmland in southern Israel remaining parched amid the hot summer temperatures which have been gripping areas along the eastern Mediterranean. Israeli officials say at least 100 arson balloons have been launched from Gaza since Sunday. Israel has responded by cutting off fuel deliveries into Gaza, which they say will continue. The 
ban will continue until further notice. Hundreds of incendiary balloons have been launched from Gaza into Israeli territory since the launch of the so-called Great March of Return by Hamas in March of last year. Still to come in business, hot IPO investor interest hitting a new the new SciTech board in Shanghai. In sports, England through to the semifinals at the Women's World Cup football uh, tournament. And in entertainment, Spider-Man's director promoting his new film here in Beijing, which opens today across China. Paul James with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Want to know what's trending in China? China Plus News Facebook page helps you to discover the real China. From the latest news to quirky Chinese inventions, videos, photos, live streaming, and more. Joining the conversation today by searching for China Plus News on Facebook and discover its news, its people, its traditions and culture. China Plus News Facebook page. Open your eyes to the real China. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you by China Radio International. Paul James with you on this Friday morning. Still to come here on the Beijing Hour in business. We're going to be describing investor interest on the new SciTech board in Shanghai through a new IPO. England now through to the semifinals at the Women's World Cup in France and in entertainment. The new Spider-Man film set to hit theaters across China as of today. Just a reminder: a few ways to keep up with us throughout your day uh, here uh, through uh, either social media sites such as Twitter and/or Facebook. All you need to do is go into the search bar on either Twitter or Facebook and search for China Plus News. Download our app. That's China Plus.、Uh, all you need to do is type that into your app search bar, and you will find our China Plus app. Go to our website as well.、Uh, that's ChinaPlus.CRI.CN. They'll get, give you all the latest news and information from China Radio International. And if you want to get a hold of us directly, email us BeijingHour at CRI.com.CN. Once again, your headline news. Leaders of China and Japan discussing both bilateral and global issues as part of a sit-down in Osaka ahead of the start of the G20 summit today. Xi Jinping suggesting to Shinzo Abe that more can be done to deepen cooperation in trade and innovation, third-party market cooperation, as well as the integration of the regional economy. He also says that China will continue to welcome Japan's participation in the Belt and Road Initiative. Both sides also reaffirming commitments to multilateralism and free trade. Shinzo Abe has also used the meeting to issue a formal invitation for Xi Jinping to,、uh, to pay a state visit to Japan next spring, which the Chinese leader says he will principally accept. As part of his time in Osaka, Xi Jinping also sitting down for talks with South Korean President Moon Jae-in. Those two discussing ways to enhance cooperation through the Belt and Road Initiative, while also agreeing to accelerate negotiations on a bilateral free trade agreement. Xi Jinping also using the meeting to brief Moon Jae-in about his recent visit to North Korea, suggesting the general trend of peace and stability on the peninsula remains unchanged. The Chinese president also expressing his support for a new leaders' summit between Pyongyang and Washington. Reports this week have suggested U.S. and North Korean officials have begun discussing the possibility of a third meeting between Kim Jong Un and Donald Trump. Trump due to visit South Korea this weekend ahead of his,、uh, after his time, I should say, at the G20 in Osaka. The U.K. now has a legally binding commitment to bring all greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050. 
The amendment of the 2050 goal approved by the House of Commons and House of Lords earlier this week, coming into effect as of yesterday, makes the UK the first major economy in the world to pass laws to end its contribution to global warming by mid-century. The net zero target means that any emissions in the country have to be balanced off by schemes to offset the equivalent amount of greenhouse gases from the atmosphere, such as planting trees or using technology like carbon capture or and storage. Uh, the new target, a little bit more ambitious than the previous goal, which was to cut the UK's greenhouse gas emissions by at least 80% of 1990 levels by mid-century. New dinosaur species that inhabited Brazil some 90 million years ago being discovered in the northwestern state of Parana. Officials suggesting the newly discovered dinosaur called Verisoporus paranalsis was around one and a half meters in length and was a carnivorous biped. Investigators identifying it as a new dinosaur based on the characteristics of its feet and claws. They believe that its breeding ground was actually in northwestern Brazil, which at that time was actually a desert. 34 minutes past the hour. It's time to turn over to what's happening business-wise on this Friday morning. We'll start you off with your numbers in North America and in Europe. Uh, U.S. markets uh, closing mixed on Thursdays. Investors kind of just stood by uh, as they look ahead to the weekend meeting between U.S. President Donald Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping. See if anything will come through from the trade dispute on that front. Uh, meantime, Citigroup shares leading the big banks higher, climbing 1.4%. Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and uh, Wells Fargo also closing uh, more than 1% higher as well. Corporate news, Boeing shares falling nearly 3% amid uncertainty about when the 737 MAXs might be able to fly again. This follows reports that investigators have discovered additional problems with the onboard computers on the already troubled jets. On the data front, the U.S. Commerce Department reporting that the U.S. economy grew at a solid rate of 3.1% through the first quarter. However, some components like consumer spending and business investment grew at a slower pace than previously estimated. Now at the closing bell, the Dow Jones Industrial Average basically ending flat. S&P 500 up 0.4%, breaking a four-day losing streak. The Nasdaq with a solid session up 0.7% on the day. European markets handing back gains on Thursday after comments from the White House and did a little bit of optimism over the potential for a Sino-U.S. trade deal. While most major country indices in the region closed flat or lower, uh, Germany's DAX uh, was boosted by Bayer's 8.7% rally. Uh, the biggest gainer on the stock 600, H&M, up 13.7% after the Swedish fashion retailer revealed that sales of its con uh, summer collections have actually gotten off to a really good start and that it's actually selling its clothes, more of its clothes, at full price. At the closing bell, the uh, UK's FTSE 100 down 0.2%, the CAC 40 in Paris down 0.1%, uh, the DAX in Germany uh, edging up 0.2%. China's latest experiment with its SciTech Innovation Board getting a boost this week after the first IPO of an electrical equipment maker drew hordes of investors. Suzhou-based HYC, manufacturer of display and touch testing equipment, launching its first share sale on the Shanghai Stock Exchange on Thursday. IPO opening to investors both online and offline. Demand for investment in the 14-year-old company so high, in fact, that HYC able to set its IPO at 24.3 yuan per share, valuing the company at 41 times its price-to-earnings ratio for last year. Senior analyst Zhang Lei noting this is well above the current IPO average in Shanghai. Such a price-to-earnings ratio has broken the ceiling of 23 times of the main board, but it is still underestimated compared to similar companies in the same industry. So we think that the pricing of Suzhou HYC Tech is at a relatively reasonable level. 
HYC, expecting to raise around 1 billion yuan through its IPO. The company says it intends to use the new money to support investment in its display and semiconductor business. HYC pulling in revenues of around a billion yuan last year, representing a net profit margin of some 55% through this past year. Johnson & Johnson's innovation arm unveiling a new incubator in Shanghai's Zhangjiang high-tech park. Incubator, known as J-Labs, is the first of its kind in Asia. The park itself, with a capacity for more than 50 different startups, first batch of 31 startups already joining the facility, covering areas such as pharmaceuticals, medical devices, and healthcare. The 4,400-square-meter site, joint venture between Johnson & Johnson and the Zhangjiang Group, is the U.S. healthcare giant's 12th such incubator around the world. Well, Tsaishin reporting that Alibaba gearing up for a second listing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange with an expected float of around 10 billion U.S. dollars. Second listing expected sometime in the third quarter of this year. Now, if this second listing does go ahead, it would mark the largest share sale in Hong Kong since 2010 after AIA uh, listed for 20.4 billion U.S. dollars. Alibaba said to have already submitted its listing application to the Hong Kong Exchange. So far, the company not commenting on the reports. Uh, for more on this, we're joined on the line now by the man who's most likely heading up that story for Saishin, Doug Young, company news chief with the English edition of that wonderful news organization. Doug, thanks for taking a few moments for us as always. Good to talk to you. Well, uh, this is interesting. Uh, Jack Ma, uh, going going back for a second dip uh, in in the in Hong Kong. Of course, uh, he tried, what was it, six, seven years ago, said, nah, no mosque because I don't like the way the board uh, thing is uh, all set up. It uh, goes to New York. It's a huge float over there. Uh, so why is he going back this time? Is it just for the money or is it, does he want to get more involved in the in the, in the, the Chinese uh, market, uh, as it were? Well, that's the question that a lot of people are asking. Uh, this company is already listed, like you say, in New York. Uh, it's got a huge float over there. Uh, and most people who can buy stock in New York, or sorry, most people who can buy stocks in Hong Kong can also buy them in New York. So it's not like making them available in Hong Kong will make you know the stock more available to more people. Um there is one group that probably will get a little better access to Hong Kong, which is the mainland Chinese uh, market, because you know we have those two uh, Hong Kong Stock Connect programs, the right. Hong Kong Shanghai and Hong Kong Shenzhen. So mainland stock buyers can probably get more access to Alibaba stock that way. So that that may be one reason. And then, like you said, uh, Jack Ma, many years ago, well, not that many years ago, it was uh, 2014, mm. uh, did originally want to go to Hong Kong to do his listing. But at the time, the Hong Kong listing rules were not amenable to what they wanted to do. They, they had a certain shareholding structure that was illegal or not allowed in Hong Kong. Right. But now they've changed that rule so so they can do it in Hong Kong. And I think part of this is probably symbolic as well. They, they just want to, you know, show they're committed to China. You know, Alibaba bought the South China Morning Post, which is a big newspaper in Hong Kong. Um, so they're involved in Hong Kong. And this just makes them look like a, a more of a model Chinese citizen. 
Mm. Now, it's interesting uh, because we've, we've heard talk about this, uh, you know, potential Hong Kong float before. This isn't exactly new news, but uh, reports that we had earlier heard was suggesting that it could be worth around $20 billion, But now you guys over at Saishin are reporting just $10 billion. What's the deal? I mean, uh, are they a little concerned about the market, uh, you know, about the, the size of the IPO? I mean, uh, what, what's happening on this front? Well, this is a, a good question, and, and it looks, on the surface at least, like potentially significant. Uh, you're right, Bloomberg was the first one to report, and they've been reporting $20 billion all along, and, and our sources tell us $10 billion, which is about half, or not about half, it is half, mm. of what uh, Bloomberg had been reporting. So you, you have to ask the question, are they just not getting very strong reception for it, and they've cut it by half, or... Maybe did Bloomberg get it wrong? And, and you know, it's, it's impossible to know because, uh, you know, one source will tell you one thing, another source will say another, and, and unless you're, like, back there working on the deal, uh, you, you don't know. My guess is that probably maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe $20 billion was a, just a, a real, you know, more or less figure, which and and they just realized there's not as much demand out there as they thought. I mean, this is still a huge deal, even if hmm. it's ten billion. Uh, it would still be the biggest uh, IPO in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. No. So you know, it's not big. I mean, it's not small, but it it, it would be smaller. Hmm. Be interesting to see how it goes ahead. Keep working on this story, Doug. Thanks a lot. That's Doug Young, company news chief with the English edition of Caixin. Chinese battery giant Contemporary Amprex Technology announcing plans to invest up to 1.8 billion euros in expanding its European production and research base. Investment to be used to construct a lithium-ion battery production base and a center for product research in, and development in Germany. Investment up from the previous plan of just 240 million euros last year. Construction estimated to last uh, no less than 60 months, starting from 2021. So it's going to take a while to set up uh, CATL, which was established in 2011, has already uh, already has branches set up in countries including the United States, Canada, and Japan. For breaking news and stories that matter to you, find us on Twitter by searching for China Plus News, where we'll share with you our up-to-the-minute news, in-depth analysis, and live-streaming videos. Visit China Plus News for your window on China and the world. 43 minutes past the hour. I kind of wonder whether or not uh, Norway should have uh, sorted out their uh, dispute with their top player because, boy, did they take a drubbing this morning in the Women's uh, World Cup football in uh, France. Uh, For a sports update, Yang Wang. Thank you, Paul. England has reached its second consecutive semi-final at the Women's World Cup. The English squad eliminated Norway 3-0 this morning in the first quarterfinal of the tournament. England will now face either France or the United States in the semi-final on Tuesday in Lyon. The host and the defending champions will meet in their highly anticipated last eight match tomorrow morning, Beijing time. The U.S. is preparing for tomorrow's clash amid Captain Megan Rapinoe's dispute with the U.S. President Donald Trump. Trump has criticized the 33-year-old on Twitter after Rapinoe announced that she will not visit the White House if Team USA lifts the World Cup. USA head coach Jill Lellis says the off-pitch noise is not affecting the atmosphere in the dressing room. I think this team has a remarkable focus. You know, I think we we all support Megan. Uh, she knows that. We know we have each other's backs in there. For our players, it's they, there's only one purpose, one mission that we're here. Comments, media, whatever. It's always been something that you know I think we can block out pretty pretty easily. 
you know, I'm not around them all the time, so I don't know what they're kind of posting or saying. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I've, on the training ground, in, in the meeting rooms, focus has been phenomenal. And I think, you know, we're just genuinely excited. Team USA has only lost once this year, and that was a 3-1 international friendly defeat to France back in January. Chinese women's national football team head coach Jiang Xiuquan says midfielder Wang Shuan may leave French club Paris Saint-Germain in this summer and come back to play in China. The Steel Roses arrived in Beijing on Thursday after bidding farewell to the Women's World Cup with a 2-0 loss in the round of 16 clash against Italy. Wang Shuang was not with the team at airport in Beijing. She has reportedly asked for some time off in Paris to deal with some personal issues. Reports have suggested Wang Shuang, the Asian Women's Player of the Year, is going to dump out her final year with at PSG to return to China next season. The 24-year-old joined PSG last year, scoring eight goals with 10 assists to help the Paris side reach second place in the league last season. Action from the Africa Cup of Nations. Algeria has edged the Senegal 1-0 this morning to clinch a place in the last 16. The match was billed as a showdown between Algerian winger Riyad Mahrez of Manchester City and Senegal's Liverpool forward Sadio Mane, but both players had quiet games. Senegal Africa's highest-ranked team needs to beat Kenya in their final group match to be guaranteed a place in the knockout stages. Kenya beat bottom side Tanzania 3-2. In other action, Madagascar won their first-ever African Cup match by beating Group B rival Burundi 1-0. The victory comes just one day after Independence Day celebrations in Madagascar's capital were made by a stampede which killed at least 15 people and injured more than 80 others at the stadium which the national team calls home. In the Copa America, action will start in less than one hour from now. Host Brazil will take on Paraguay in the quarterfinals. The Brazilian side will be looking for revenge as Paraguay has knocked Brazil out from penalties in the previous two Copa America tournaments in 2011 and 2015. The International Tennis Federation has launched a new-look Fed Cup Women's Tennis Tournament, which will feature a 12-nation final in Budapest, Hungary. The new format will see an increase from 8 to uh, 20 nations competing each, each year for the World Championship. They will compete for a total prize of 18 million US dollars, with 12 million going to players and 6 million to national associations. Fed Cup Global Ambassador US tennis legend Billie Jean King says this should level the playing field between the women's competition and the men's Davis Cup. The most important thing is that we are the biggest and best as far as annual world team event. The exciting thing is what's happened is we have equality to give equal prize money to the women. Uh, this is the first time ever at Fed Cup, so there's a lot of first involved. If you look at World Cups, it does help elevate the sport, but we are the best, and women's tennis has always been the leader in all of women's sports, and we want to continue to be the leader. Sixteen nations will compete in the Fed Cup qualifiers in February on a home and away basis to earn eight, or one of eight places in the finals. They will join the previous year's finalists, Australia and France, host nation Hungary and one wildcard nation. 15-year-old American teenager Coco Gauff has become the youngest player to reach Wimbledon's main draw for women's singles via qualifying. Gauff ranked the 301st in the world to beat Belgium's Great Minnen 6-1-6-1 in the final round of qualifying. The night before the match, the youngster took a science test for her school back in Florida. She will be the 12th youngest player to compete in the women's singles at Wimbledon. 
The previous 11 all got their spots in the、uh, draw via direct entry rather than qualifying. In Formula One action this weekend, moves to, moves to Austria. Mercedes still in an unshakable position and is expected to dominate again at Austrian Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton leads the driver standings, holding a 36-point lead over teammate Valtteri Bottas, the only other driver to win a Grand Prix this year. Ferrari driver Charles Leclerc admits his team has little hope of catching Mercedes this year for the constructors' title. We are all aware that the gap is is quite big and it's going to be very difficult to catch up, but we won't give up until it's mathematically impossible. So、uh, we'll give everything,、uh, but then yeah, of course the the gap is big. Red Bull's Max Verstappen, who is in fourth in the drivers' standings, but trailing Hamilton by 87 points, says he doesn't like the current scenario. I think Formula One has always been like this because. Before this, Red Bull was dominating the sport. Before that, you had Ferrari dominating the sport. Before that, what was it? You got Williams. Before that was McLaren again. Like you know, it's you always have those years of domination. Unfortunately, I, I mean, I don't agree with it, but it's like it is. There's always one team which、uh, gets the rules, or understands the rules better than others, and, and does a better job. Hamilton could help Mercedes match a three-one-year Formula One record in Austria. Dating back to last year, Mercedes' winning streak currently stands at ten races, leaving team one short of the all-time best mark set by McLaren more than three decades ago. Former Olympic gold medalist Yasuhiro Yamashita has been elected the new president of the Japanese Olympic Committee. He will replace Tsunekazu Takeda, who has been docked by alleged vote-buying scam to land next year's Tokyo Games. Takeda announced earlier this year that he would step down at the end of his term. Yamashita won gold in judo at the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles and remains one of Japan's most famous athletes. He says his first task will be to regain the trust of the public in the wake of a vote-buying scandal. We have seen some scandals in sports, including the GOC, and therefore the trust and confidence is now in question. We have to grapple with these issues very seriously. We have to enhance our integrity to be able to recover the trust of the Japan sports world. This is the most important thing. I would like to make a smooth transition, and even though the leadership is changed, we shouldn't let an obstacle to cause any further problem. French police are sent to try former IWF boss Lamina Diak on corruption connected with the 2020 Tokyo Games. Diak was a powerful IOC member who is alleged to have received payments funneled through a Singaporean company authorized by Takeda to help Tokyo win the bid for the 2020 Olympics. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Coming up to 52 minutes past the hour, let's get a quick check on what's happening in the world of entertainment. Spider-Man director John Watts here in China this week promoting his new film, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Speaking at a promotional event here in Beijing yesterday, Watts asked if we can ever expect to see a Spider-Man film based in China. The thing that's fun for me is to take Spider-Man and get him out of his comfort zone and to take him places where we've never seen him before. So, really, yeah, anything's possible now. 
Now, in this edition, Spider-Man Far From Home, following Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, on a summer vacation to Europe with his friends. Uh, Spider-Man actors Tom Holland and Jake Gyllenhaal have also been here in China promoting this new film. Uh, the film now in Chinese theaters as of today, including over 600 IMAX theaters. In fact, China's getting the first glimpse of this, the new Spider-Man film in its general release, as the film will not open until next week in the United States. Broad selection of Chinese productions becoming a focus of attention at the latest edition of the Sunny Side of the Dock, an international documentary festival which is underway in La Rochelle, France. China Central Television 9's documentary channel and CGTN French among the 19 participants. Wild Treasures of China. It's a five-part wildlife series co-produced by CCTV9 and France's Zed Corporation has been screened at the event. Now, shot here in China, the 4K series focuses on the rare species that inhabit the untamed wilderness here in China. Deputy head of the CCTV documentary channel, Shiryan. I think it is a co-production in the true meaning of the word. Both sides have taken part in financing, researching and planning on what wild animals to shoot, and then shooting and post-production. President of French producer and distributor Zed, Emmanuel Cateau. Our cooperation is terrific. I appreciate the quick action of CCTV documentary channel. It was their professionalism and the sincerity that have made this series a reality. 30th edition of the Sunny Side of the Dock, to tra- dock rather, attracting more than 2,500 exhibitors from 60 different countries and regions around the world. Chinese online video sharing platform Bilibili announcing that it's launching an animation adaptation Liu Cixin's uh, sci-fi trilogy, The Three-Body Problem. Now, it's officially renamed Remembrance of Earth's Past, the three-part saga more widely known by the name of its first book, The Three-Body Problem. Uh, It's currently in the script adaptation stage due to be shot uh, using 3D technology. Of course, the sci-fi sector here in China is said to be growing. Earlier this year, the movie adaptation of Liu Cixin's The Wandering Earth becoming China's second highest grossing grossing movie, I should say, of all time. Actress Naomi Watts saying that former Fox News host Gretchen Carlson's story of pushing back against the powerful media executive Roger Ailes is inspiring. Watts playing Carlson in The Loudest Voice, based on books about Ailes and Fox News. It's an incredible story, as a story of an abuse of power and when power is misused and how it affects everyone in the chain of command and, and particularly women. A highly toxic, misogynistic world that Gretchen was operating in and kept being told this was her limit, this was her limit. And being a smart woman, highly educated, she was um, wanting to push back and wanting to get what she needed out of it. Gretchen Carlson's sexual harassment lawsuit eventually bringing down the late Roger Ailes as the head of Fox News. Uh, Ailes to be played by Russell Crowe as part of The Loudest Voice, which will be a limited TV series, which will begin airing on Sunday on Showtime. South Korean superstar couple Song Jung Kai and Song Hee Kyo seeking divorce to end their celebrity marriage of less than two years. Of the Song Song couple. Both have huge followings here in Asia and elsewhere around the world. They married in October of 2017 while co-starring in the mega-hit uh, TV series Descendants of the Sun. A law firm representing Song Jong Ki uh, confirming that his client launching the divorce proceedings. Neither of them, though, saying why they are getting divorced.
Quick check on the weather before we let you go. Here in Beijing, another cloudy day expected. Another warm day, though. Not as hot as it has been earlier in the week, but still pretty warm. Highs of 32 today. Lows tonight down to around 22. Recapping your top story, Chinese President Xi Jinping meeting with Japan's Prime Minister ahead of the start of the G20 Summit today in Osaka. On behalf of the Beijing Hour staff, it's Paul James in Beijing. Hoping you'll join us for our next edition of the Beijing Hour to open a window to the world together.